Good morning, good morning, good morning. Okay. <laughs> uh, you ever get dressed in the dark? Yeah. Never? Someone, someone nodded their head? I discovered this morning that I do not have enough light in our house. We do not have a, a few of you that have been to our house are acknowledging that. So um, I always get ready the night before to go come to church. So I want to stand here like this this morning. Okay. I always get ready. And so I like I put my clothes out because I get up super early on Sunday mornings. And, um, and so, you know, you hold up your shirt, you hold up yourself. Yeah, that looks fine. <laughs> At home, it looked fine until I got here to church, and then I was uh, looking in the mirror, and I was like, I got a stain on my shirt, like right here. Can you see it from there? Oh, see, what am I talking about? So, so someone recommended this morning that well, I should preach like this, just because, you know, that way you wouldn't see the stain on my shirt. But anyways, sometimes we do get dressed in the dark, and it's just what we feel is like normal, right? And it's just what we do. And then when we step into the light, we recognize like, wow, I didn't know that was even there. And like for me personally this morning, worship was that way for me. It's like in my own world, in my own stuff, what's going on, I think I'm doing all right. And then when I step into his light, intentionally step into his light, because you know, as believers, we always walk in his light. It's really important for us to know theologically. But when I intentionally, when I step into the light and I see who I am and what's really there, it humbles me. And I realize that, man, God, I need as much help as you've got for me, as much grace. Uh, what brought that on, Ashley, was when you said we're uh, his hands of mercy, that we're in his hands of mercy this morning. That's really important for us to know that, for every single one of us to know that, that you are in his hands today. I was listening to uh, one of my favorite worship leaders. I'm not going to say who it is because I'm going to diss on them for just a moment. I still love them. But they were uh, at this big church, big, huge, amazing uh, music uh, and great worship time. And at, towards the end, he was like begging Jesus, Jesus, would you come? Would you show up? Would you, would you, we invite you, would you just be? And he was like oh, for on and on and on. And I, and it, it started like bothering me a little bit inside. Because here's the deal, theologically, and what the Bible says, God is with us. It's really important to know that God is with us. It's us who need to recognize his presence with us. He's always with us. The reason why is because if he just kind of pops in here, pops in there, that's really tough. It's really important for us to know that God doesn't just pop in, that he's always there. Now, there's going to be times in our lives, and I can be right at the front of the line to raise my hand, where it has felt like he's not there, that he's popped in for a while and then popped right back out, and I'm begging for him to show up. But he's with us, even in those hardest times, he's with us. And we're going to be opening the Bibles to Second uh, Peter this morning. We're jumping right from 1 Peter right into 2 Peter. So if you need a Bible this morning, our, our fabulous host in the back is raising them up. 
We're going to be in our Bibles quite a bit today, so I encourage you to, uh, to grab one, to open it up, page 1051, if you have one of the church black Bibles. Hey, also, we're going to be doing communion at the end of the service this morning, so if you need a communion cup, um, I invite you to raise your hand and we'll get you one as well, but we're going to do it at the very end. You know, Hebrews 10, as we're turning into to 2 Peter, Hebrews 10 says, don't forsake gathering together, being together. Because when we come together, what are we supposed to do as a church? We're supposed to worship. We're supposed to pray. We're supposed to learn together. But then the Bible says we're supposed to do good things together as well. And so I just want to keep putting it out there in front of us that we want to go beyond Sunday mornings and we're praying for our connect groups, we're praying for host homes, we're praying for um, people who will come alongside and help facilitate those groups, and we're just throwing it out there, and we're asking that uh, you pray as a church, and we have a few people that have approached, which is awesome, and so we're going to start. We're not going to wait, we're just going to start, so I invite you to uh, talk to me if that's something that comes close to your heart. So Peter, we know Peter. Most of us know Peter. He's one of Jesus' apostles, one who walked with Jesus for the three years of ministry. Peter writes this letter, and I believe it's perfect timing. You guys ever experienced perfect timing? Yes? So here's some perfect timing. I, I was thinking some pictures. When I think of perfect timing, um, here's a few pictures of perfect timing. Now, some of these pictures were staged, Okay. But some of them aren't staged, but still perfect timing. Okay, here's perfect timing. Okay, see that bat? See the kid on his phone? Okay, that's why you don't bring a cell phone to baseball games. You need to pay attention to the baseball game, okay? All right, perfect timing. That is one fast seagull. Perfect timing. Okay. Just perfect timing. Now, I think that one was staged, but that one's actually kind of cool, though. Right? So. It took me a second. Okay, I'm slow. It took me a second to get this one. But see the stork dropping the baby. Okay. Can I just say, if you still believe that's how it happens, <clears throat> Pastor Marcy has a class after church. She'll be glad to tell you all about it. I thought that was cute. Okay, here's another stage one, but, but perfect timing, right? This is a, somebody popping a bubble. Isn't that interesting? I mean, that's a shot is that, that took perfect timing to get that shot. Perfect. <laughs> Ken, I almost said something about you in this when I saw this. So, uh, but I, I chose not to, but since you said it out loud, um, that's called perfect timing, not for the person on the bike. Speaking of that, by the way, can I, so you guys know Ken. Ken, raise your hand. Most of the time, Ken's in the sound booth. Um, oh, here's another one. Okay. Okay. Oh, okay, I already showed it. There you go. That's pretty pretty clever, huh? That's for the cat people. Any cat people in the house? 
Yes, I found that out about Adam. See, I used to think that like Adam, like way up here. And then when I found out it was a cat person, I was like, mm, way down. No, I'm just, just messing. Sorry, Karen. I know Karen. Karen, I know you. No, I love cats. As long as it's your cat, I love cats. I love other people's cats. Like Melissa and Adam's brand new neighbor has the cutest cat. I mean, it is. Gray cat with blue eyes. It is the cutest cat ever. And I'm just glad it's at their house six miles from me. It's awesome. But, you know, I want us to celebrate the, the little things. Sometimes, you know, last week we talked about oxymorons. That's when words are put together that seem completely opposite. And we hear the word minor miracle. And we're like, no, that's not. Any type of miracle is major. I just want to say what happened to Ken a few weeks, probably almost a month ago now when we were on the mission trip. That was a miracle. So Ken rides his bike to work. How many miles a day do you ride? 16 miles round trip, he rides his bike. Rain or shine, no matter what, he rides his, uh, his bike. And about a month ago, he got hit. He's probably going about 18, 19, 20. He's, he's like that seagull really fast, um, going about 20 miles an hour, and a car hit him from the side. And it spun him up in the air multiple times, landed on the sidewalk, nothing broken. Sore. He walked away from it. That is a miracle. So we just praise God for that. I just want, so, I, so when I saw the bike guy, yeah, I thought, I did think of you, Ken. Okay. But and I'm, I'm glad you're okay. But perfect timing. God's timing is perfect. It's important that we believe that because it's not always in our timing. It's not our perfect timing. It's God's perfect timing. And I was thinking in my own personal life, what are some of the times where God has shown up perfectly for me? I have a lot, but I, I, I went all the way back to the very beginning of when I first met Jesus, or that process when I was meeting Jesus. You know, I was like 13 years old, and I was, I felt uh, alone, even though I had an amazing family. My parents are here. <laughs> I, I got I to say that. I needed so much, I've said this before, but I needed so much help that God gave me two families to watch over me, protect me, to be with me. But even in that loving, caring family, I still felt alone. And I was afraid. I lived afraid. And just God's perfect timing, my mom started going to church, invited me to come. I think it's because she didn't want to go by herself, really. So I went with her. Um, and, and I just was introduced to the kingdom of God through that congregation, which is Trinity Baptist Church, which is about four miles from here. That still meets today, which is awesome. It was God's perfect timing for me, just for what I needed in my life right then, is to introduce himself to me at that time. I mean, I had grown up in a, in a God-fearing home, I grew up in a home that um, was loving, caring, did, provided everything we needed, but we didn't really go to church, so I really didn't know much about Jesus. And it was this congregation that came alongside of me and just walked with me and invited me in and let me be me, which is pretty odd, but they let me be me, right? And so 
That was perfect timing for me. I, I think of the Bible, that, and there's so many instances in the Word, but there's one of them that I just couldn't help get past, and that was Abraham and Isaac. You guys know the story of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham was, was chosen by God to be the father of his nation, but Abraham was in his, at that point, he was like 75 years old. He didn't have any kids. And God comes and says, you're going to be a father of many. You're going to, I'm going to rise up a nation through you. And he's like, how is this going to happen? Well, your wife, who's old too, is going to have a boy. That promise took 25 years. For God, it was perfect timing. But for Abraham, was it perfect timing? In his, no. He took, in fact, if you read the whole story, he took his timing into his own hands, okay, which created major problems that we actually face today because of that one decision. But he does eventually, when he's like 99 years old, he has a son, Isaac. And can you can imagine a 25-year-old promise coming to be and how much you would love that son? You'd do anything for that son right? Well, you know what God asked him to do? Many of you guys know this, but I'm just going to share it again because we're talking about God's perfect timing. God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. Isaac's about 12 years old, 13 years old probably. And they go out, and so Abraham just does it. He does everything to prepare for a sacrifice. Isaac, he's even helping him carry stuff for that sacrifice. And then Isaac's aware enough to like, hey, Dad, we got everything here except for the sacrifice. Can you imagine? And Abraham, I don't even know how he does it, and I don't know how Isaac does it. I was a youth pastor for a long time, and asking a 12 or 13-year-old, 14-year-old, hey, hop up in this altar and let me tie you down. That doesn't happen. So I don't know how that happened, but he does, and Abraham is literally ready to take his son's life because that's what God told him to do, and then the angel of the Lord stops him. And what was provided already? There was a ram, and the Lord says, stop through the angel, and the Lord has provided a sacrifice for you, and because you were obedient, and it's out of obedience that this perfect timing showed up. I just want you to know that God always, always, always has what he's prepared for you if he's asked you to do something. And he just asks us to walk in obedience. We're not always going to understand the why. In fact, that must have been one of the most difficult things a father could ever do. I can't even imagine. But it was God's perfect timing is also a picture of, of what the Father would do um, eventually, that G the Father God sent his Son to be sacrificed for us. It was God's perfect timing. And what I believe about Second Peter is I believe that this book is perfect timing for us in the time that we live in. It's a message that is um, for us today, not just for those who read it thousands of years ago, but it's for a message for us today to grab onto it, to, to cling to it, to learn from it, 
and to stand in it. I want us to read the first couple of verses this morning. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. So, Father, as we look into these few verses, as we look at the life of Peter this morning, Jesus, that we would see you, that we'd hear from you, that you would speak to our hearts this morning, that, God, I believe that you're always speaking, that you would open up our ears, that you'd open up our spirits to hear from you today. God, help us to know that we are in your hands of mercy. Help us to be reminded that you are a God of perfect timing. Hmm. In Jesus' name, amen. God's perfect timing. I read a quote this week that God's timing is perfect, um, but rejoice in the delays. Right? Because, again, God's timing is what it is. It's perfect. But he's not on our timetable. So rejoice in the delays. When's the last time you thank God for a red light? Yeah. I don't. I haven't. In fact, I've gone through a few on on accident. One on purpose. Um, That's only because the children's pastor who was ahead of me went... They ran the red light in front of me, so I just followed them. Okay. Anyways, that's another story. But God's timing is perfect. And I believe that this message from Peter um, is a perfect message for us today. And what are some of the topics of Second Peter? He talks about a faith that has been given to us, a faith that is precious. And we're going to talk about it at the very end because what we hold in our hands is precious today. And I want to remind us ourselves that Peter is writing this letter uh, from prison. It's about 30 years after he saw Jesus ascend into heaven. And it's about 30 years since he promised that I will lay my life down for you. And do we know, did Peter do that? No, Peter didn't do that. Peter ran from it, in fact. One thing about Peter that that when we read the scriptures, we see the high points, Peter's high points, and we see Peter's low points. But the interesting thing about him is when we see his high points and low points, they're usually at the same time. Where most of us, it's kind of like, oh, I'm, on, I'm, I'm having this high moment right now. And then maybe a month or two later, maybe two years later, which is what we hope, we have these low points. But not with Peter. Peter's high points and his low points were always at the same time. And here's a couple examples. The first one is when he first met Jesus. He fished all night long. Now, he had heard about Jesus. Everybody was hearing about this guy, Rabbi, who, when he spoke, changed people's lives. Peter spends all night fishing because that's what he does for a living. doesn't catch a thing. And they pull up their boats, him and his, his partners, which happened to be John and James, They pull up their boats. They're kind of fixing their nets. They're done for the day. They're ready to go home and get some rest. And Jesus just hops into his boat. Doesn't ask. Just gets in and says, hey, would you push back out a little ways? 
Now, Peter, here's the high point. Peter does it. I'll do that. And now here's the low point. Because after Jesus speaks, he goes, hey, why don't you, let's go fishing. And Peter's response was, I've been fishing all night. I haven't caught a thing. I just want to go home. Just leave me alone. Just get out of my boat. I don't even know you. I was just trying to be nice. But now here's another high point. He does it anyways. He throws the nets on the other side of the boat. And what, we know what happens if we've read the scriptures. The nets are so full, the boat tilts and almost begins to sink. The nets begin to rip. They have to have the other boat come back out and help. And here's one of the another high points for Peter. It's because Peter recognizes at that point, he recognizes that there's something special about Jesus. He doesn't know that he's the Son of God. He doesn't know anything at this point, but what he does know is that there's something special about him, and what Peter does is he gets on his knees and he says, I am not worthy to be in your presence. And here's another high point for Peter, because it's, and it's nothing that Peter had done, it's what Jesus does, does for him is Jesus raises him up and says, you know what? I'm giving you a new job description. Because, yeah, you're not, in and of yourself, you are not worthy. But in me, you're going to change the world. Because no longer are you going to fish for fish. You're going to fish for men. You're going to be one of my spokespeople who will go out and share the good news. And many will come to me because of you. That's a high point. Another high point for Peter is when another time in a boat, Jesus does his ministry. They minister all day long. Everyone's tired. Jesus sends his, his disciples, hey, why don't you go across the lake? I'll meet you there. Jesus goes away to pray. His disciples are out in the boat. We know that the storm shows up. They're freaking out. If fishermen freak out, you know it's bad. If you're in a boat with a fisherman and they're freaking out, you know it's bad. Just like if you're in an airplane with a pilot and they're freaking out, it's bad. They're freaking out. They don't know what to do. They look off in the distance and they see somebody walking on water coming towards them. They think it's a ghost. They're, they're, now they're even more afraid. And it's Jesus. He begins to speak. And Peter, high point, Lord, if it's you, just call me out of this boat and I'll come to you. So what does Peter do? He gets out of the boat. The Bible says that he gets down out of the boat. So, you know, I don't know how you do that. Just sling your leg over and, and then all of a sudden, Peter's walking on water, high point, for a moment. And here's the low point. He got afraid. Fear came in. And when fear comes in, what happens to us as human beings? All kinds of emotions show up. Doubt. That's the biggie. I don't, I don't know if I'm supposed to be doing this. This shouldn't be happening. Why is this happening? And then he begins to sink. Jesus raises him up. They get back in the boat, calms the storm. Highs and low points for Peter. And probably one of the biggest and hardest ones, I think, for Peter, as I read and think about him, is the night that Jesus has the Passover meal, which we're going to celebrate this morning. And Jesus is telling them that 
I am going. My life will be taken away from me. And you will all desert me and scatter. Jesus is telling all 12 of his disciples this. He's not just talking to Peter. He's telling all, but who speaks up out of that group? Peter. And Peter's response is, I will never forsake you. In fact, I will fight and I will die for you, Peter said. And Jesus' response, Peter, before the rooster crows in the morning, you will have denied me three times. And if you read that story, it is heartbreaking. Now, for Peter's credit, he's not the only one. Because all the disciples in that moment, they all said the same thing after Peter. He was the first one who spoke out. But they're all like, Jesus, we're not going anywhere. We're here. We're staying here with you. We will fight for you. We will defend you. We will be here. They all ran and deserted him. And then if you read that story of high points and low points for Peter. I mean, the high point is, yeah, Jesus, when he spoke that, Peter at the high point, Peter says, yes, I will defend. I will stand. I will fight. I will die for you if that's what it takes. To me, that's a high point because he's willing to lay his life down. When it really came to it, was he ready? Was he willing? No. And in fact, it says, the Bible says that in the last denial of Jesus, over those several hours, the last denial, somehow in the vicinity, they were close. Peter was close enough so he could see Jesus. And then when he denied Jesus the third time, they had eye contact. That's heartbreaking. Talk about brokenness. And then to hear, we don't know if Peter actually witnessed the death of Jesus. We know John did. We don't know if Peter was way off in the distance or if he was so heartbroken he just took off. And it wasn't until the resurrection that Jesus reveals himself to Peter. And what's one of the first things Peter does? He actually goes back and goes fishing. And, then re- and that whole story, the whole story again happens with the fish. There's a stranger on the beach. And cast your nets on the other side. I, hey, just leave me alone. I've been fishing all night. We're done. And then he recognizes it was Jesus, a high point for Peter. He just jumps out of the boat and awkwardly tries to run in water. You ever try to run in water? It doesn't work. And one of the first things that Jesus does is to restore and bring healing and restoration and, again, to call Peter to what he was called to do in the first place. Not to go fishing out there, but to to go into the world and to share the good news of Jesus. So Peter is in prison right now. This is 30 years after he's been restored. Now this declaration that Peter made 30 years before Jesus, I will stand up for you. In fact, I'm willing to lay my life down for you. In fact, I will die for you. Peter's writing this this book from prison. He has been sentenced to death. Why? Simply because he is sharing the love of Jesus with people. And Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is healing the message is spreading, and we know that the Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders didn't like it, so they were imprisoning the leaders. And that's where Peter actually says, you know what? I'm not going to be here much longer. I'm going to write another letter. 
through the power of the Holy Spirit, of course. And so he writes this letter to those who believe in Jesus. It's a declaration that is finally coming true for Peter. Because remember, 30 years before, he said, Lord, I will lay my life down for you. So some of the topics that we will be covering is a precious faith. We have been given everything we need, Peter tells us. God's promises are great, Peter tells us. As followers of Jesus, we do have responsibility. That would be a fun week. Maybe we'll just all go on vacation that week. But we do have responsibilities uh, as believers. And that means it's how we live. Peter talks about holy living. What does it mean to walk with Jesus on an everyday basis? Not just once in a while, but every single day. Peter wrote this book to those uh, who believe in Jesus as a reminder that he is, that Jesus is the one and only Son of God. He is the only one who offers eternal life. He's the only one who restores the broken, and he brings healing. So why does Peter, since he's writing to a group of Christians already, why does he remind them that who, they, who they're following is who he says he is? Because Peter takes a lot of time in, in, in this book to talk about false teaching. There will be times where people will come and bring false teaching. They will say they're believers, but what they're doing is they're leading you away from him instead of leading you to him. Again, for me personally, as I, as I read through this book, it's perfect timing for us in our day right now. There's a lot of false teaching right now. And I'm not talking about just out there. I'm talking even inside the church. We've even had a local just this last week. I don't know if you've heard. But one of the local four-square churches just closed this week. Mainly due to false teaching. It's heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. We'll talk a little bit about more when we get into it chapter 2. But false teaching is huge because if it leads us away from the truth, then it exposes us to the enemy, and then we know what happens when we get exposed to the enemy. That happens. The bell rings, and it's all over. Oh, well, that's one way to look at it. That's a better way to look at it, actually. Peter talks about Jesus is coming back. That was one of the false teaching, teachings that was going around. Because remember, Jesus promised that he was going to come back. It had been 30 years, and he hadn't come back yet. And they were like, well, I guess he's not coming back. And so that was one of the big things that was going on back then. Still kind of even going around even today, 2,000 years later. God's timing is not our timing. He's coming back. Just look at what's going on in your world right now, in our world right now. The signs are everywhere. According to the scriptures, I mean, literally he could come back any moment and it would be lined up with the scriptures. We'll talk about that a little bit when we get to it. I'm hoping he comes back before we get to that part. Wouldn't that be cool? Just saying. One of the things, one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible is in 2 Peter chapter 3. And it's verse 9, and I want to read it to you. You can look at it if you want, since you're open there. 
I'm just going to read it to you. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Again, for me, theologically, a lot of times people think God is a mean God. They think of him as sometimes the Old Testament God, even though if you can look at the Old Testament and see the loving Heavenly Father that we see in the New Testament. And so what I love about this passage is it shares the heart of God. It's not God's heart for anybody to die without him and to not know him. In fact, he's being patient. The reason why he's waiting is because he's being patient. That's patience. 2,000 years of patience. It reveals God's heart that he wants us to know him. And he gives us opportunity to know him. Peter talks about a new heaven and a new earth, that it's going to be perfect. He reminds us to be on our guard and to stand firm in the truth. And he reminds us to keep pressing in to him and to keep growing in our faith. Don't stop growing. Don't stop growing. Be the oak tree at Oma's house, at Gretchen's house. You guys call her Gretchen. We call her Oma. How many years ago did you plant that oak tree, Gretchen? 1980. If you pull into her house, there's this massive, kind of like that, um, massive oak tree. Massive in her, in her drive, driveway, right on the edge of her driveway. That thing doesn't stop growing, no matter what happens to it. No matter what happens to it, no matter how many branches we cut off it, no matter how many branches fall off it, it continues to grow. And Peter tells us, keep growing. Keep pressing into Jesus. He is with you. God's timing is perfect. So let's look at first or second Peter chapter one one more time. The very first verse. Simon Peter, he introduces himself, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I want us to stop there. I love the very beginning of this because obviously he introduces himself. And he does give his credentials a little bit as an apostle. An apostle was a person who actually was face to face and learned from Jesus himself. And so Peter does describe himself as an apostle. I think there's a little bit of authority there as the writer of this book. Hey, I am an apostle. I am an eyewitness to what the things that Jesus did. But the thing I love about this, how he introduced, what does he say first? He calls himself a servant. Is this the Peter we read about? That we've read about? Peter, is this the same guy who, when he was hanging out with the other disciples, they would fight constantly about who was the greatest? Who was the best? Who did Jesus love more? Who had the most skills and the most abilities? And in fact, it wasn't, in fact, in this case, it wasn't Peter, but it was John and James who approached Peter or approached Jesus and said, Hey, when it's time for us to all be in heaven, can we be the ones that sit right next to you? That's a gutsy ask. But John and James, it's not Peter who asks, it's John and James who asks. 
And how about the other 10 when they hear that question asked? Oh, did it, did everybody's like, yeah, we think you should. <laughs> yeah, no, they were fighting about it. They were angry about it. They were frustrated about it. And what did Jesus say? Hey, you want to be the greatest? You want to be exalted? Then you need to be a servant. That didn't make sense to them because servants weren't even in their class. And they were fishermen for the most part or tax collectors for Matthew. There was no class for him. He was bad. He was rich, but he was bad. And Jesus says, you need to be a servant. You need to come and be ready to do whatever your master asks you to do. And you need to come with the right heart and do it. You need to walk in humility. Sometimes that's not the Peter that we think about or we read about, but that's the Peter who is writing this book. He had become a servant of Jesus. He was willing to do whatever it took. He was devoted. He was humble. And he was ready to act and do as he was directed. Man, as I read that, I'm just wondering, how do I slide into that? I ask the question, does that sound like Peter? But I'll ask the other question, does that sound like us? Man, does that sound like us? Would we say, yeah, I'm a servant? Or are we too good for that? But Jesus said, if we want to be great in his kingdom, then we need to be a servant. We need to be devoted. We need to be humble. We need to be ready to do whatever our master asks us to do. Even if it doesn't make sense. In fact, I'll just say this. Most of the time, it doesn't make sense. Ask Abraham. Over and over, Abraham had a comfortable life. He was doing well. And God says, I want you to leave all of that, and I want you to go out in the middle of nowhere. Abraham is like, why would I do that? I'm good here. But he was a servant, and he was humble, and he did what his master asked him to do. And yes, he was blessed for it, but not in Abraham's timing. I mean, I don't want us to be a church that preaches, hey, if you do these things, you'll be blessed. You will be, but I will say this, you will be blessed, but not in your timing. Not, and sometimes not the way we think we'll be blessed. And sometimes our blessings don't show up here, this side of heaven. I'm just going to say, sometimes our blessings don't show up this side of heaven, but sometimes our blessings do. Some of you are sitting next to your blessing. Okay. I'm not sitting next to my blessing right now, but I'll be riding home with her. But sometimes... We won't see those blessings, but that's not why we do what we do. We do it because we're servants of him. And Peter says, I am a servant of Jesus. And it's not anything that I've done. It's all him. It's not out of my righteousness, out of my goodness, out of my abilities, but it's strictly because of what Jesus has done for me. It wasn't my idea. This whole relationship with Jesus wasn't my idea. Jesus is the one that got in my boat. 
I didn't invite him into my boat. He got into my boat. And isn't it interesting that most of our encounters with Jesus isn't on our schedule or or all is from our intentions. He usually interrupts us. He intersects us where we're at. And we're like, man, where did you come from? But that's who Jesus is. Why does he do that? It's because he loves us. He wants to get our attention. He wants us to be doing what he's called us to do. What has he called us to do? And maybe some of you ask that question. You've been a believer for a little while. What am I supposed to be doing? That's a great question. I have a simple answer for you. It's probably too simple. Love God and love people. Not easy. Neither one of them are, really. Because if we really love God, we're gonna, it's, it's a sacrificial love. For him, it was a sacrificial love for us, to love us, wasn't it? But it's also a sacrificial love for us to love him. Because we just can't come to him with, all, with our hands full of our stuff. And I'm just doing whatever I want to do, and I want to put Jesus in my pocket and bring him with me. That's not the, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus says, I'm all or I'm nothing. There's no lukewarm about me, Jesus said. In fact, lukewarmness makes him sick. And we read that in Revelation. So we come before him with hearts that are servants, servants' hearts. So where is our devotion level? Is humility part of our everyday everyday walk and Are we ready to act? Are we ready to do the things he's called us to do? The good things the Bible says he's called us to do. Now, Peter is no longer writing to those who don't know about Jesus. He's writing to believers here. Believers who no longer rely on themselves and what they've done or what they can do for the kingdom, but rely on the things that Jesus has done for them. Ephesians chapter 2 says this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This precious faith that we're talking about this morning. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love those verses. You've heard me read those verses before. Probably in the last year, I've read those verses three or four times on a Sunday morning. Those are like life verses for me. Because it's a reminder of what he has done for us. It's nothing that we've done. But because he loves us and he cares for us, has compassion for us, he has loved us and laid his life down for us. But at the same time, he's called us to do amazing good things for him. Here's the message version of that passage. Now, God has us right where he wants us, with all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from the start to finish. 
We don't play a major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. I love that line. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. So what are some of the things that we're supposed to be doing? That's a question you really need to ask yourself and have that conversation with Jesus. God, what am I supposed to be doing in your kingdom? I'm not talking about like, God, how am I? I mean, we talk about everything with Jesus, right? And you should. But I'm talking about kingdom focused. Is your life kingdom focused? That's all about him, including your job. Do you look at your job as a gift from God to provide for you? But that's not your focus. Your focus is his kingdom and, and what he's doing. And God, how can, I be, how can I be part of that? What do you want me to be doing in your kingdom? Our faith is a precious faith. Our faith is precious because it costs Jesus his life. Why don't you take your communion cups this morning? Think of Peter. Peter says that this righteousness isn't anything in and of ourselves. We haven't done anything. It's all Jesus. He's made us right with God. But for those of us that say yes to Jesus and are servants of Jesus, verse 2, Peter says, grace and peace is yours in abundance. Grace and peace is yours. And not just a little, but abundance. I love the word abundance. That means there's just a lot. There's lots of grace. And there's lots of peace for those of us that know him. Communion should be one of those times where it brings us peace and brings us comfort knowing what Jesus has done for us. I always want to be careful with communion because I don't want to make it a religious thing. Hey, this is what we do the first Sunday of every month. And this is what we do the first Sunday of every month. But Jesus said, when you come together, remember me. Remember what I've done for you. Remember my sacrifice for you. Remember that my grace is sufficient for you. Remember that no matter what you go through, remember I promised you peace, Jesus says. And not just this simple little peace, but the peace that Jesus had to go to the cross. That's the type of peace that he gives us in whatever situation we find ourselves in, whatever circumstance. Not always easy. In fact, most of the time, I'll just say it's not easy. But we remember. Sundays like this, we remember. Jesus, this is what you've done for me. You've given your life for me so I can have life. You've given your life for me and so I can have this abundant grace and peace that only comes from you. And so take a moment. We're actually going to do communion together today. 
which we don't always do. But can you just take a moment this morning and just can you just have a personal time with Jesus? Can you remember what he's done for you? Maybe remember a few of the perfect timing moments in your life where he showed up, where he intersected you, where he interrupted you. Going back to the word that was brought about giving praise to him. Give him praise this morning for this precious faith. What we hold in our hands this morning is a reminder of this precious faith that we have been given. So give him praise. Thank you, Lord. So if you take the bread this morning. Jesus said, when you eat this bread, remember me. This is my body that was broken for you. So would you take the bread this morning? And right after that, Jesus, he took the cup and said, hey, when you take a drink of this, I want you to remember me. Remember what I've done for you. Now, for me personally, when I, re- when I think of this, I just, I just remember what, what put Jesus on the cross was my sin, my failures, my disobedience, my brokenness. And it just reminds me that he loves me because he did that for me. I pray that for you this morning, that as you take this cup, that you remember that Jesus loves you. And what he did on the cross, yes, he did it for the whole world, but he did it for you. For him, it was personal because he did it for you. And so, Lord, thank you for this cup. Thank you that it represents what you did on the cross and the blood that was spilt and the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. So would you take the cup together? Can we all stand? I heard this week that it was declared that COVID is over. I actually heard that on the news. I don't watch the news, but I actually heard that. I'm like, oh, really? Okay. I thought it was over like a long time ago, but anyways. Um, And so since it's over, can you link up with somebody next to you? Just grab elbows. I'm not going to ask you to hold hands. 
We're not going to do si do, but, but maybe across the aisle a little bit if you can, or if not, or just in your row. We are in this together. Jesus came for us. So just take a moment. Can you pray for that person on your left? If you're all the way over here and you're like, I don't have anybody on my left. Well, you have people in the nursery. You have somebody way over here. Ishmael, you can pray for Jacob. Dan, you can pray for Judy. Just make it happen. Just pray for that person on your left and then take a moment and pray for that person on your right. Just a reminder that we're together. That none of us in this room are alone. That he's called us into the family of God. God, thank you for opening our eyes this morning to experience your presence. Thank you for the ability to drive to a place and to come. Lord, we lift up those in this room, but we lift up also those who are watching from home, and we just pray, God, continue just to open our eyes to see you, to experience you, to know you, to continue to grow like Peter challenges us to do. God, I pray that we'd be servants this week, wherever we go. That we'd walk in humility, that we'd walk with hearts that are sacrificial for you and for those around us. God, I pray for a new level of dedication in our walk with you today, this week, for the rest of our lives. You're an amazing God, and we do love you, we do praise you, and we do serve you, in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen, amen. amen. God bless you. Looking forward to seeing you next week already.